Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our, our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. When we aren't afraid of death, we are less afraid of life. From all these episodes, I aim for all of us to take more risks in our lives, go after our dreams, have great relationships, and definitely some fun in the process. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain. And before I get started with this episode, I want to share some news with you. I think uh, many of you listeners who have been listening for a while knew that I flew to Denver, Colorado to be a guest and be filmed actually on a television show with with George Norrie. George Norrie is the host of a radio show called Coast to Coast AM that is broadcast in the wee hours of the night to millions of listeners. So he's got a huge following. So for me to be asked to be filmed for his TV episode was is a really big deal. And so the good news is, is just a couple of days ago, it aired live and it's on a television station, an internet television station. And if you want to see it, you can go to beyondbelief.com. So it's called beyondbelief.com. And I'm actually episode 16 of season four. And depending on when you're listening to this, it'll either be the most recent episode or you might hear this a year from now. And so you have to scroll through. So anyways, it's a great episode. It'll get you very inspired both about my message or our message of we don't die, but also some really great tools about who you are and what your life is for. So today on our show, I'm pleased to introduce you to a wonderful woman who says she needed to die to get a life. Her name is Diane Sherman, and I'm anxious to share her story with you and why she believes in life after death. And like most of the guests we've heard on We Don't Die Radio, Diane gives her life to make a difference with others and describes herself as a life guide. So let's meet her. Hello, Diane Sherman. Welcome to We Don't Die. Hi, Sandra. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. I'm really delighted. And oh, for our listener, if you go to wedontdieradio.com right now and you look at episode 51, you can take a look at Diane and kind of see who we, who it is we're talking to right now. So Diane, I'm great. You're coming to us from California, you said. Yes, I'm high up in the redwoods at the Pacific Ocean in a little place called Eureka. Oh, I've driven through Eureka, actually. How uh, random is that? I know. It was a long time ago, probably about 10 years ago. And I'm in Massachusetts where we had an incredible snowfall. It's February of 2015 right now, and there was almost seven feet of snow that dumped on us in the last month. <laughs> I know. I've been reading about I don't know how many people are all surviving this. <laughs> I know. Well, I got to go on a vacation the past couple of weeks, so I've been quiet for a little while. I got to go to uh, on a vacation to the island of St. Thomas. So in the middle of the blizzard, I was sitting there in the turquoise water and going deep sea fishing and just relaxing. So pretty cool. Well, that's one way to get through winter, isn't it? I know. But enough about me, because this is about you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you and maybe what your experience was that um, made you believe that we don't die? Well, let's see. 1981, I went into the hospital to have a simple surgery. Uh, I was having arthroscopy on my left leg, on my knee. And, you know, it was not something I was worried about or concerned about. I had waited a long time to do it, and I just knew everything was going to be wonderful and and easy. And somehow when I got in there, um, there was a different energy about what was going on. And 
I went through the surgery and the surgery took a lot longer. I guess there was more damage than they realized. And, and then I came out and went into recovery. And somehow in recovery, there was a lot going on at that time. And I don't know how in-depth you want me to go with this story, but... Whatever you feel moved to share, because um, it's just us, so okay. you feel free. You know your story better than I do. That's true. So as I'm, as I'm laying there and I'm trying to sort of get my bearings in recovery, there's a lot of commotion in the bed next to me, and, and it really it kind of took me aback that there was so much going on. It's like, you know, you're in this quiet, calm place, and then all of a sudden there's just all this energy and, and trauma and drama going on. And I didn't want to be a part of it. I didn't want to watch it. I didn't want to listen to it. Right. But I was also fascinated by it. You know, that human side of, of me came up. And I'm, I'm turning my head to the left and I'm looking and they're just feverishly working on this person. I don't know if it's a man or a woman, but I know this person's in trouble. <clears throat> and all of a sudden I hear them calling her name. So it turns out to be a woman and they're saying, Diane, Diane, wake up, Diane, come back, come back. And I'm thinking, isn't that funny? We both have the same name. And I'm still, you know, trying to take my attention away from it and not pay attention to it. And all of a sudden, they're calling her full name, Diane Sherman, wake up, oh Diane Sherman, wake up. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, they've got the wrong person. They've got the wrong name. That's my name. How can they be calling her by my name? Something's wrong here. And so I'm trying to get their attention and, and trying to tell them, hey, I'm Diane Sherman, and I'm here. I'm right here, and I'm, I'm okay. You've got the wrong person that you're working on. And I thought, oh, I wonder if they've done the wrong surgery on her, and this and that and the other. Anyway, the next thing I know, I'm standing at the bottom of her bed. And I'm looking at her, and I'm looking at them, working on her. And there's no connection. Sandra, there's no connection to her at all. You didn't I didn't. see it's me, but there's no connection. Wow. And in that moment, you know, I'm surprised my mind didn't go crazy mm -hmm. and want to understand. And I didn't. It was kind of as if somebody said, pass the salt. It had no more energy on it than that. Wow. Even wow. though I could see they were trying to bring her, me, mm -hmm. back to life. I had no interest. I had no worry. I had no, oh my God, that's me. I had none of that. And so it was fascinating and so odd at the same time. Yeah, but you did recognize that it was you. I did fully, yeah. Oh, wow. And, you know, I'm listening to what they're saying and what they're doing and and it's kind of like, why am I standing here? That was the only kind of thought, was why am I standing here? Not, not in the big scheme of things of what's going on with her, but just for where I was all of a sudden, why am I standing here? Mm -hmm. And there was no realization that I was dead. There was no realization that I was out of my body. And I had no awareness of near-death experience at that time, 1981. I hadn't read uh, Raymond Moody's book, you know, we didn't have the internet and all of that. There wasn't conversation about it. Right, right. So 
I was just kind of like an innocent walking blindly through this experience. And the next thing I knew, I'm up in the corner of the ceiling overlooking all of it. And I'm, I'm not even, you know, kind of fascinated with the fact that I'm up in the ceiling overlooking all of this. It's, it's like the whole thing had such a sense of knowingness and all rightness and ease. And of course, this is natural. That's where I should be, of course, kind of attitude. Next thing I knew, I'm being extricated out of the room. And I'm feeling this pull from behind, you know, just pulling me out of the room. And the next thing I feel is I'm kind of like going forward and I'm, I'm being pushed from behind. And every time I say this or tell this part of it, I can feel my body arching, kind of pushing back from it. Right, right. And there's this blackness. And when I was a kid, my most terrifying feeling was being in the dark. There was a fear of being blind and in the dark and, and hopeless and helpless. And so that's where I found myself, in the dark, going forward into this darkness, and it was scaring me. And I thought, just like when I was a kid, well, if I can find a glimmer of light, you know, like if there was a glimmer of light coming from the street in the window of my room, I would be okay. And so I'm looking for this glimmer. I'm just struggling to find a glimmer of light. And I see this little spot, little tiny spot of light <clears throat> way out in the distance. And I'm just holding on to it for dear life because I know that I'll, I'm safe in all of my psychological stuff that's going on, that I'm safe if I can hold on to that little glimmer of light. Mm -hmm. And as I'm watching it, it starts to grow, Sandra. It starts to grow. And as it's growing, it's getting closer to me. And as it's getting closer to me, it's getting wider. And then all of a sudden, it's everywhere around me. I am encapsulated in this glimmer of light that has become this profusion, this brilliance, this, oh, I don't even have the words for it. Just this glorious white light that is surrounding me. It's like standing in clouds. It's all I can think of is standing in just brilliant clouds because it had sort of that wafting feeling to it, like clouds do. And now I'm, I'm moving through it. I'm moving deeper into it. And I'm coming to an area where all of a sudden it starts to get finer and thinner and more diaphanous and it starts to part. And ahead of me are two rows of beings that are standing in monk's robes facing each other mm -hmm. and I'm like floating between them and once again you know I'm I'm not concerned I'm not afraid I'm not I'm I'm just comfortable and as I'm getting in the center of them I can just feel this unconditional love just and it starts in the light but as I'm flowing through this unconditional love is just surrounding me. It's, it's in every part of my being. It's like every, every thread of me is now awake and aware and connected and alive on a level I never knew. Even though I'm dead, I am so alive. I am so 
I'm so happy. I am so home for the first time in my life. I'm so at home with myself. I've, I've come home to my own heart, to my own knowingness. And as I get to the end of these, the row of these two beings in these brown monk's robes, and they've got their hoods up, the one on the left steps forward and he speaks to me. And when he speaks to me, there's no sound. It's like he's talking inside of me. And I'm looking at him, and there's no face. There's blackness. It's like energy moving. It's just... And there was no there was no fear in seeing that. It was like normal and natural, like that's how it had always been. And he says to me, it's not your time. You cannot stay. You must go back. And I'm like incredulous, and I, I say to him, I just got home. I just came home. I just found everything I had wanted in my whole life. That sense of being loved unconditionally, that sense of being cherished, that sense of being in the right place, that sense of all the knowingness, that sense that I had never had as, as an adult, as, as a wife, as a mother. I had never had these experiences. I had always wanted them, but I'd never had them. And he repeated, you cannot stay. It's not your time. You must go back. You have a child. And he repeated that to me several times. And I'm, I'm like begging and pleading with him, saying the same thing about, you can't send me back. I, I just found home. And he said, you have a child. And I started thinking about my daughter. My daughter was six at the time, mm -hmm. and I was divorced. And I'm thinking, who could love this child and take care of her the way I want her to be loved and cared for? Right. And I had my ex-husband, but he was my ex-husband for a reason. <laughs> and I had my sister, but she was not healthy psychologically to be a role model, to be a loving, safe parent for my daughter. My parents have passed away, so there just wasn't anybody that fit the bill for me, that, that was right for me. Even though I didn't want to come back into my body, I wanted to stay there. But I couldn't resolve this inside of me about my daughter. And, and in thinking about her and what I wanted for her, I was back in my body. Wow. And I think in my heart, I chose to come back because I love her. I think I chose to come back because I really thought that was the best thing for her. Mm -hmm. I know I was going to be sent back, but I want to think that I was a part of that. Right. Right. Although I was fighting tooth and nail to stay, and if I hadn't had my daughter, uh, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you. Right. <laughs> you know, I'd still be there, hopefully. And did you, do you know what happened that um, caused the near-death experience? I mean, there, yes. what happened with the knee surgery? Yes. Um, I have low blood pressure. Uh-huh. And I, my blood pressure went to zero and I flatlined. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. And one another question that I have sure. is... Um, 
I've heard from other folks that have had the near-death experiences, even though yours happened in 1981. Do you remember it as vivid as when it happened? Oh, sure. I mean, there's a visceral reaction when I tell the story. That, that is so amazing to me because I can't even remember with clarity how yesterday went. Oh, neither can I. <laughs> and time and time again, that is something that's so common is like, it's just a feeling like it just happened. I mean, it's so real. And I think that's miraculous. And I completely get it. I, I can only, I can't even imagine the feeling of that unconditional love and feeling cherished and really having that knowingness of everything and that feeling of being at home. I mean, it sounds like who wouldn't want to be there, you know? Right. Wow. Exactly. And, you know, I'm probably the worst person in the world when it comes to um, people passing away because I'm always so thrilled for them because I know where they're going and I know what they're going to experience. Gosh, Gosh. what a gift that would be. And that's something that I say in theory that it would be great um, if we all believed. I mean, really, not just had faith, but we knew to our core that we don't die and that when we close our eyes here on earth you're going to open them somewhere else but to have that kind of faith you would celebrate when someone uh, passes away even though there still is a that physical grief that we go through because you know it's when we can't smell them and touch them and hug them and things like that it's still difficult but to be able to rejoice that you know they're still alive so anyways continue with your story what happened next so you came to and was it immediate that you ended up sharing this with other people that you had this experience or oh heavens no okay it took a long time for me to to put the pieces together um there was a part of me that thought i you know was dreaming this or Mm -hmm. you know had uh, something with the anesthesia or whatever the thing that cued me was the the psychic abilities that started showing up. I had always been sensitive, Mm -hmm. but this was on a whole different level. I was hearing other people's pain and stories inside of them as I would be in a room, you know, going to a restaurant and I would hear people. I could feel people. Can you give me, give us an example of what do you mean by that? Um, I'm sitting in a restaurant Mm -hmm. with a very dear friend and my attention is taken to the table that's behind us and I can hear the pain and suffering in every person sitting at that table. Oh my. I can hear and feel what they're grappling with in that moment. In like a split second you just had a knowing of what was? Yes. Okay. It was almost as if, you know, I had stepped into their bodies interesting yeah and certainly not something i wanted you know uh yeah i can understand i've i've heard stories i mean even just being somewhere that you know you can say it's negative energy or somebody's got bad vibes i mean and i don't i i don't have what you have but there's times that you just know that oh you don't want to be there And, and to really be feeling and picking up what everybody's feeling around you that's that's intense it was intense and and there was a point in my life where I thought, am I becoming psychotic? What's happening to me? I didn't really understand. Okay. And I had spent, you know, 12 years in Catholic school, was raised Catholic, you know, had certain religious um, doctrines inside of me. And this was all just kind of like 
not making sense. And so I started asking for help in a big way on, I guess, on a spiritual level. Now, I had never thought of myself as spiritual, per se, Mm -hmm. uh, religious, and I had a great love of the saints and all of that. And now all of a sudden, it's a whole different world because everything that I grew up with, all the tenets that I grew up with were being challenged. And, you know, I grew up with heaven and hell. And all of a sudden, I realized that we have translated that different than how it really is. Interesting. That we have the ability to create heaven here on earth. And certainly, people are going through hell here on earth. Mm-hmm. And it really comes from our perceptions creating our reality. And, you know, how we feel about ourselves inside, how we've gotten wired from childhood and through experiences, really is what creates everything that is coming towards us. You know, it's all a vibration. And if there's negativity that we're we're grappling with inside of ourselves, our insecurities and our fears, we are mirroring that out into the world. And there will be a match for that coming to to say hello to us. And that is good news and bad news (laughs) because I've experienced it. I think we all have. Let me go back to your story, though. At what point? Because I... I have in front of me your credentials and what you're up to now. Our listener does not know. So at some point you made, you know, light bulb went off that it's like, hey, this is the real deal and I have to do something with it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I realized, and let me digress for a second. I went to see this astrologer and he had never seen me before, and he was reading my chart, and he said, oh, my, you've got that thing in your chart where you just love to give the good news. And I thought, wow, the good news. Mm-hmm. And I had done also one of those personality um, like tests. Like Myers-Briggs or something like that? It, it, it's like a Myers-Briggs, but uh-huh. it's a different format, and so it picks up other things. Okay. And the thing that kept coming up was minister minister and counseling and I thought well that's interesting you know that that would be where I'm maybe supposed to go and when this guy said you want to give the good news I realized yes there's this there's this truth inside of me that I know we're here to be in joy we're here to play we're here to connect and love each other we're here to have this amazing experience and we're here to create what it is that fulfills us in the best of ways here, and that we have the power to do that. But somehow life has taught us that we are not powerful, that we're not good enough, that we're not big enough or whatever it is to do this work. And so we don't even try. We're shut down. And I thought, you know, the thing I want most is to be able to give somebody a hand up in the knowingness of this stuff, to be able to touch them in a way that opens up all of their connections and all of their sense of knowingness and allow them to thrive on that level. I was so tired of knee-jerking in my life, and I had been knee-jerking a lot before I had my near-death experience. As a matter of fact, I had gone to church a couple of weeks before I had my experience, 
And it was kind of like a scene out of the nun story with Audrey Hepburn. I almost felt like I was prostate, prostrate at the altar, <laughs> you know, begging and pleading for help in my life. Right. I can, I have the visual of you doing that. Yeah. And, you know, I got the cosmic two by four, which just straightened everything out. I literally had to die in order to open up and understand what the hell I was here for mm-hmm. and, and what this is all about. And I'm so grateful for it, even though, you know, it has changed my life greatly. And that's an understatement. And it's been a struggle in many ways to understand what to do and who I was and what I was meant to do. But I have loved the process. I have loved every stage of it. And I haven't always made people comfortable with it. Uh My daughter... um, I know I embarrassed her greatly many times when she was growing up, if we were out and about doing something, and maybe we happened to be in an elevator, and all of a sudden there would be this information that would just be coming up through me, and I would turn to the person next to me or the person behind me, and I would give them the information. Of course, I didn't know them, and I would blindside them with this information, which I now understand what that was about. They needed that that shock, that heart opening. Mm-hmm. And I gave it to them. So they'd either go into laughter or tears. And my daughter would just look at me like, Mom, did you have to do that? And the answer was, yes, I had to do that. I yeah. could not not do that. All right. I watch the Long Island Medium every now and again. And I see her with her kids or her husband. And she just is in a restaurant. And she has to give a message. And they they roll their eyes like, oh, come on. But, I mean, it's true. What you can share can make a difference with somebody in a moment and how, you know I, I don't know kids are kids and you know I hated when my parents embarrassed me because they did um, but <laughs> I grew up and I ended up okay you know that's just part of the, the growing up process wow it's true mm-hmm. yeah but you know I grappled with that that thought of who am I to do right. this how do I know that that's right how do I know that's okay and and who get what gives me the right to be able to tell people things like that mm-hmm. and I realized that spirits working with me all the time I can feel it the vibration in my body changes and I just now you know I relax into and just let it rip because I know it's here for a reason I'm with this person for a reason you know, if they've come to me for a reading or for help or whatever, I just say whatever comes and I say it in the most loving way I can. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing because I know you're a spiritual life coach, intuitive counselor and vibrational healer. I haven't a clue what any of that means. So uh, <laughs> what, what do you do? What do I do? Well, yeah. let's see. Um, you know, the term... The spiritual life coach, it's its kind of like, I feel like I'm a life guide for people, but mm-hmm. I i tried using the term life guide and people thought I was a lifeguard and I just right. got tired of explaining it. So I let that go, but that's kind of what it is. It's, it's I help guide people through their life, through their experiences, wherever they're stuck, wherever they're, they're having a problem, wherever they think life is going against them. I... I explain to them what's really happening and I explain their response to it and why. And I take them to that place where they originally got wired in a certain way, mm-hmm. where they created belief systems about themselves, and I unwind that. I psychologically unwind that with them 
and the the vibrational healing and the intuitive counseling of course is is how i can get to all of that you know because i can read their stories i can read them but i want them to have the aha so i will give them questions and whatnot to bring it out and sometimes we do inner child work which gets back to where this stuff got created mm-hmm. and just kind of give them a chance to to see the bigger picture of themselves in their life because there's always a theme running in us and I try to help them get to what is that theme that keeps reoccurring that keeps getting in the way that keeps you from being who you really want to be yeah. and having the experience you really want to have and keeps you suffering and then the vibrational healing I use codes and frequencies to clear and obliterate whatever is in there that's blocking or impeding them from thinking in a different way, from responding in a different way. What from, is what? Oh, sorry, I'm interrupting sorry. you. But what it's does okay. it mean, codes and frequencies? Like, what would that yeah. look like if I was in the office with you? Or I'm well, sure you do this on telephone and Skype and things like that. You don't have to be face to face with you. Okay. I do. <clears throat> well, a lot of it is. I'm asking the creator directly for help with each person. I'm asking for certain codes, vibrational codes, to be downloaded that I can send these to this person that will open up the blocks that are in them. Everybody's carrying in cellular memory mm-hmm. in the cells of the body, um, trauma. That's where it's stored. And if you can neutralize, flatlined in other words if you can have the same vibratory frequency as that it will flatline and get dumped out of the cell and into the system and be flushed out and it gives people great relief because they no longer have to be operating from that operating system that's great news i have heard before that our memories are are uh, saved in a cellular level and i can't remember the guy's name uh, Bruce Lipton is he the, one of the ones that he's one uh, of them yeah yeah that had written about that um, but I know for myself like say you know in my early days of learning about this stuff anytime somebody would talk about the inner child I'd kind of laugh like oh come on but even as me and as an example the first memory I have of something going wrong was getting lost at Disneyland and just being maybe four or five years old. And even to this day, as a 48-year-old woman, knowing that that happened to me, and I you know, I don't think about it ever, but if I'm in a, say, Home Depot or a grocery store or, at, or some big park, and I c- can't see right away the person I came with, it's like I have a panic attack. And I actually have to talk myself out of it that, hey, this is just a four-year-old. You're, you're an adult now and you know how to get out of the store and find your person. But it's so right there, just to my core. Like every cell feels that fear, you know. Right. So, I mean, if and I think it's really brilliant that... Um, you know, people can tell me that, oh, Sandra, you're afraid to be, not afraid to be alone, but you're afraid to be lost. But unless I see it for myself, it doesn't do any good. So I love that you say that you can bring people back there. Because I think we all have people in our life that we can look at and say, oh, they're insecure or, you know, whatever that may be. But if that person doesn't recognize it himself, there's no chance of transforming into uh, someone else, right? Right. And you know, there's a phenomenon that occurs that I don't think most people are aware of. 
And that is that these little kids are still living inside of us. The, the problem is, is they're not integrated fully and they are our creative, playful side. And so when something goes awry, like you getting separated from a friend, all of a sudden that little kid is out. They're like little periscopes, always watching to see, am I safe? Is everything okay? And so this little kid comes out and now all of a sudden you've lost your ability to have your adult tools. Right. Right. Because you're overwhelmed. You can't get to your words and your thoughts. You're just in pure overwhelm, right? Yep. 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 That's because the little kid is out. You as the adult is no longer in charge. So one of the things that I do, and anybody can do this, is to work with the inner child to calm that child and let them know that they are not alone, that the adult is here taking care, watching out, making sure they're safe, and that they need to just relax and go play. Now, when I work with somebody, we do it a lot deeper than that, and we do it with writing, because that seems to be able to connect with them on a different level. I, I have them use both hands when they write. The question is with the dominant hand. The answer from the child is with the non-dominant hand. So switching hands, accessing different hemispheres of the brain, mm -hmm. makes a big difference in really getting in touch with this little kid. Can you give us, because I love leaving people, myself included, with just some great, awesome tools that we can use. Um, a lot of us are struggling in life. I think that's part of life. Most is, of us are struggling. Yeah, we don't. Rem being a human being. Yeah, and we it's it's hard to often remember that there's a bigger picture. And I, I say life is an education for our soul. But if we're grappling with something right now, um, is there some way we can use this? Like, talk to us about what kind of homework you'd give us to uh, get in touch with our inner child with the left and right hands? Well, first of all, you need to create a quiet space. And for some people, lighting a candle, making this a more sacred experience is helpful because it brings their the personality to the table. Because most people are living from the neck up. They're not living from the neck down. So we want to cue them that this is important work and come and make it sacred. So you've got something to write on big enough and something to write with that, that's comfortable because you're going to be using two hands. Okay. And what you do is you introduce yourself to your little kid, whatever the name was that you went by as a little kid that you resonated to, you call them that. You, you write to them and you tell them that you are the adult version. You are them in the future. However you want to couch it, it doesn't matter. You just want to share with them who you are because they don't have a clue who you are. Okay? And you ask them if it's okay to have a conversation. You always want to end in a question mark because that's what activates them. And then you switch hands with your writing instrument and let them speak through and do not judge what you hear. It's going back to pretend and make believe when we were children. You know, we stepped out of critical thinking when we were children. We didn't need to go there. And this kind of a spiritual practice is the same thing. You need to trust what you hear and you may hear it inside of yourself, you may hear it outside of yourself, it may just be a feeling, and you just let it come out. You don't judge it. And then the next thing is to ask them, you know, what's going on in their lives? How are things? 
and ask them what you can do for them in that moment. Is there something they need? Oftentimes they want to be held, they want attention, they want somebody to play with them, they want some kind of um, help or acknowledgement. And you have this conversation and you can ask different things, you know, and get a sense of who these little kids are. And you want to remind them that you are here to love and protect them and that you are never going away because so many children have abandonment issues and so many adults are still operating from that kind of a knee-jerk position. Mm-hmm. And so if you let them know that you do love them, that you are here for them, that you are here to protect them, that you're never going away, and that you're always on guard for them, and that you will play with them, they become much more comfortable letting go of the control. So that when you know you're going to be in a position that may be a little hard for you in some way, stressful, because it's stress that always brings them out, Just say internally to yourself, you know, hand on your heart, hand on your solar plexus. It's okay, honey. I'm here. I've got this. I'm the adult. You go play. And it lets them off the hook. You know, because for many kids, and I was one of those kids, where there was a lot of trauma and abuse, you always had to be on guard because there wasn't somebody watching out for you because oftentimes the people who were supposed to watch out for you were the perpetrators. Right. So this is a way of really letting these children be children and eventually they will integrate. And, you know, you ask them at the end of your conversation, how often do you want me to check in with you? And for some of them, it's going to be every day for a few weeks. And for others, it'll be, you know, whatever they tell you. And if you honor that, you will create a bond. Now, the lovely part of this is that it's an opening to falling in love with yourself because you get to see and feel the preciousness of this child. And the realization is, this precious child is you. This is the perfect child in whom God is well pleased. This is you. And when we own that, we own our own hearts and we come back to ourselves in such a loving way. I think too, you know, you know, you're, I don't want to give too much of my personal life on this show, but I deal a lot, you know, some of, when I was a little kid, I really wanted to be a veterinarian and I wanted to help animals and, and growing up, even though I didn't do that, I was always the kid and the person to reach out to the less fortunate or somebody that was sick or I I worked in nursing homes and I was just the giver 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 and not anything wrong with that but I see even into my adulthood sometimes I give so much and I'm not taking care of Sandra and you know some friendships I've been in that that really it's really tough because the it, it seems Diane that the um more generous I am the more people expect me to be generous and then if I pull a little back to have some Sandra time you know that hurts other people so you know I'm just looking for myself um, about talking to this inner child and I think you know I'm gonna I'm going to do the homework after we're done with this episode and and really have that conversation because I think on one hand it's good to give but like we all hear if you don't put yourself first you really can't help somebody else you know um 
Well, it's more than that. You know, that's your, your first and foremost job is giving to you. Because if you're not shoring yourself up, if you're not making sure that you're in the best possible shape you can be for you, if you're not honoring and loving you, you're not in shape to do for people. You're not bringing the light into the world that you're here to to bring. Right. Right. Charity begins at home. And that means self-loving, self-nurturing, self-care, self-aware You know, life is moving so fast, people don't think that it's important to take the time to check in and see, where am I with myself? Yeah. Am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Because dehydration creates depression. Oh, I didn't know that. Makes sense. Am, Am I tired? Do I need to be in nature? Do I need to call a friend? Do I need to do something that's silly and fun? Do I need to walk in the grass? What do I need? And really find out who's in there. You know, we're not machines that were made to just do. We are called human beings. Being meaning to be. Right. To be all the time. You know, you're talking about, and I think it's very brave that you're talking about giving yourself away. Well, and I know I'm not the only one, so I, <laughs> that's oh, okay. another reason that I do that, because I know somebody else is listening right now. It's like, I've got that same thing. What do I do? You know? Yeah, I mean, I've done that most of my life, so I, I understand that. Yeah, and we all have the little voice in our head saying, you should do this, or if we have a uh, underlying sentence, like, I'm not good enough, or I'm not lovable, you know, then it's like, oh, but I've got to, I've, I've got to do something for somebody else or I have to, whatever that is. So what a, a lovely technique to have that conversation. Cause I, even though I haven't done it yet, I kind of see a couple of things opening up, like not only, you know, so often the things that we tell ourselves or, you know, the negative things are, are things you would never say to another person. You know, somebody would smack you if you talk to them, like we talk to ourselves. So I think to have a conversation with the inner child and, actually love this inner being, you know, would will be a freeing technique, but it'll also feel like, hey, somebody's on your side. You know, we're not in this alone. You exactly. know, I think it's great. Yeah, because it it makes you realize we are all in this together, but yet there's so much loneliness on the planet. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a significant other or you don't have family, Whatever your circumstances are, you still have to be happy. Right, right. And, and, you know, the greatest love there is, is the love you can give yourself because that's never going away. It's never going to end. You're not going to get divorced. You're not going to die. You're going to always be there for you when you get that connection going. And that's her, an absolute gift is when you can love yourself and Put yourself first, Sandra. You know, you were talking about giving away mm-hmm. your energy and your time and your care and your love. Well, when you're not giving it to you, what you're doing is you're changing the process that other person is supposed to be having. When we sublimate our feelings so that somebody else is going to be getting what they need, we're going against the process that's at that's at hand. Our job is to always love and support and give ourselves what we need and not, not go against our feelings. 
because if we go against our feelings, it's going to hurt us and it's not going to satisfy the other person. The outcome will not be what you think. But when you do take care of you, which is the only place where we have power is taking care of us, it will, in fact, be the right process for the other person. Yeah, and really trusting it, because earlier you had yeah. said your near-death experience and and going through the process, being in a restaurant and really picking up on everybody else's emotions and, and things, you know, in that moment, it's like, how could that ever be a blessing? And um, after my dad died and I was experiencing terrible grief is when I decided to do the research on grief and put the things I believed as far as life after death together and create my book called We Don't Die. And out of that, it's just helped, I don't know, tens of thousands of people so far, even this radio show, you know, people will never meet are getting impacted. And so for anyone listening, and even for you, because I know you, we all still struggle because we are human beings, just the fact that we might not see it in this moment, but whatever wherever we're at is the perfect place for us to be. And I think there really can be a gift out of it, right? Absolutely. You know, it doesn't matter where we are in our process. Just loving ourselves through the process is everything. And it makes everything so much gentler and and it makes things flow. I always say to my clients, look, we've got two choices here. We can be happy or we can be right Wow. Say more, say more about that because I, I get it, but it's, <laughs> it's like a slap in the face. You can be happy or you could be right. And, and most people choose right. And, you know, that's the thing that always makes me giggle because we want to be happy at the core. That's the bottom line. It's not about how much money we make. We think the money is going to make us happy. Mm-hmm. Everything we want, we think is going to make us happy. So let's choose happy first, and then all the rest can come or not come or whatever it does. But, you know, in every interaction, we have a mindset because of our insecurities, because of how we're wired, because of being human beings, that, you know, it's important to be right, that my point is, I must be right. You know, you must understand um, why I did whatever I did, because it was the right thing to do. Well, there is no right You know, when you've been on the other side, you realize there is no right or wrong. There's absolutely no right or wrong. It's like saying red is a better color than blue. They're just colors. One isn't better than the other. Hot and cold. They're just temperatures. It's the same thing. There is no right or wrong on the other side. Does that mean we're not judged for our actions here? No judgment whatsoever. None. None. There's a life review. And the only person who is judging you is you. There is no body of of elders sitting there in judgment of you, determining where you will go. You determine all of that for yourself. That's refreshing. So to look back and say, this is what I did great. This might have needed a little work or whatever. Um, but you get to experience it through the experience of the people who were involved. You get to feel what they felt and then decide. Was that choice the choice you would make again or not make again? Hmm. Having that feedback. Right. Right. Seems like a great education 
It is. And a great eye-opening experience. Um, our time is getting close to the end, but I, I, there's something else I wanted to touch on because you brought sure. it up in the beginning. It's our perception because we all want to have a great life. And I know if I wake up in the morning and say, this is going to be a really crummy day, like it's going to be a really crummy day. How can we change our perception in order to, I don't want to say make it a better day, but really get that we're the creators of our reality? Do you know what question I'm trying to ask? I do. How can you best answer that? A well, wise a wise woman, <laughs> Diane. <laughs> old is right. <laughs> I said, oh, not old. <laughs> um, I think what I would say is, Always look for what's working. Always look for things that make you happy. Always put your focus on the things that uplift you. I wake up every morning and I say, I wonder what amazing people I'm going to get to interact with today because I know that everybody has a gift for me and I have a gift for everybody else. And I just look for that all day long. I stay in the moment. I interact in that present, and I just look for the gifts. I'm always looking for what's right in my life, what's working in my life, what's precious in my life. And I had a wonderful teacher years ago who, when I would get stuck in the negative stuff, because I have one of those minds that ruminates, he said, you know, if you make a big sound and a big movement at the same time, it will shift the energy, and it does. So I will jump up in the air, legs flying, arms flying, and make a huge noise, like a yelp. And it shifts my consciousness. It gets me out of that fear-based, oh, gloom and doom stuff. I'm going to try that as soon as we're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait till we're off the air. <laughs> and you know, it makes you feel silly. And silly is such a great place to be. Silly is a great place to be. You know, I just, my mind just wants to reach out to one of our listeners who put a review on iTunes that sometimes my voice gets too loud. And um, so to that listener, I don't know if you're male or female, but I just want to thank you. And I am working on getting a different system so that I, I don't yell too loud into the microphone. But thank you for that contribution. And when we when we are done with this, I am going to jump up and down and <laughs> raise the vibration. So I was just trying not to laugh too loud. You know, um, just lastly, you, you said a couple of words and it reminded me um, I had like a alarm that off went off on my cell phone every day for about a year. And it had three words on it and it was present, grateful and gold. Nice. And and what it meant to me is to be in the present moment, um, put in gratitude at any time because it really can shift our day, our life, our happiness when we are really seeing what we're grateful for. Gratitude is a lot. And gold, just like you said, uh, you know, I've had times that I've sat next to people on airplanes and I'm thinking, oh, don't let this woman start talking to me. You know, it's just, it's terrible. But I've got, you know, the immediate thing that comes up is negative. But it's like, you know what? No, everybody has some gold for me for my life because they're with me. And if, and if you play that game, you could be in the post office or the grocery store or just 
anywhere. And not only do they have a, uh, some gold for you, you have some gold for them. I mean, just last week I was talking to a housekeeper at the condominium I was staying at, and it was the one-year anniversary of her mom's death. And I had just picked up on she seemed a little sad. And she didn't know I wrote a book, and I talk about grief and all these things. And just me sharing my experience with her, she came back the next day to clean, and she says, I got the first good night's sleep I had in a year, just Aww. knowing that I wasn't alone. And she believes my whole vacation was planned so that I'd meet her and be able to have a conversation with her. And so, I mean, it's, you just never know. And any one of us can be this for any other human being, you know, because we're all in on this game of life together. Exactly. So Diane Sherman, any closing words? You know, I think the thing I would say is for me, life is a party. I have this party going on inside of me all the time. And I know that spirits going to bring all kinds of wonderful people in my path. Yep. And I just love you know, interacting. And there was a time in my life when I was afraid. And I realized after my near death that there's nothing to be afraid of on the other side. And there's certainly nothing to be afraid of on this side. We have much more control than we think we have. Wow. I love that. Well, with that, I'm going to close this episode. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here today. Your website is is it guidingyourspirit.com? Yes, it is. Okay. Just as it's spelled, guidingyourspirit.com. And to our listener, if you go to wedontdieradio.com, I will have a link uh, so you can read more about Diane and you can click and go right to her website. And I do have a favor to ask. If you enjoy these episodes, if however you're listening to them, many people on iTunes, but just either write to me at wedontdieradio.com or if you feel like, uh, you can go to iTunes and leave a review. I would appreciate that. Like any good restaurant, the more people that say it's good, the more people will go to it. And um, I'm thankful we've now hit over 36,000 listens here on We Don't Die Radio. And I thank you, my loyal listener or new listener, for being here today. So my name is Sandra Champlain. I believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. And in the words of Diane, just life is a party. There's nothing to be afraid of. We are all loved and never judged no matter what. And remember that death is not the end. So thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. 